Hello and welcome to the Marvelous Unknown Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Henry. This is my other co-host. Matthew, I'm here as well. Hello. Uh, today we're going to do a little re-ranking of the Marvel movies, the, the MCU movies. Um, we've got more time this time around so we can really get into depth of, like, of the whole thing. Um, yeah, it, it comes off the back of us doing them on yeah. Instagram. Yeah, we also have Instagram you can follow, um, at Marvelous Unknown Podcast. Uh, at the moment, we're just doing general opinion sort of centered posts and uh, movie reviews. Um, also, we have a Twitter at Cinema Marvelous. They're doing the same thing there as well. Um, so, if you want to follow us there, you can well, give us a follow. And uh, a seamless plug. Yeah. <laughs> so well integrated. So well done. Professional. Um, yeah. I was going to add um, if you want to help us out, uh-huh. give us a review. It'd be great. Fantastic. Yeah, iTunes. iTunes. Yeah, that's the place to be. Okay, so how do you want to do this? You want to go from bottom to top, and I just... think we go from bottom to top. Okay. Do you want to go first? Um, I think I go first for Batman. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh... I think I went first for Batman, so okay. um, it's uh, yours. Okay. <laughs> so number um twenty-three. 23. Wow, okay. 23. <laughs> uh, number 23 for me. The, if you don't last... like Marvel films, this is a uh, it's a long... Yeah, it's going to be a big one. <laughs> uh, my last one, the one that I least want to go back to, the one I enjoy the least and just in general don't like, um, it is Ant-Man and the Wasp. Bingo! <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if this is a popular opinion, really. I... I think everyone, similar to like an Incredible Hulk, I guess it exists. It's um, it kind of just happened after Infinity War, um, and I think the reason I don't like it at all, really, is um, it's kind of like if I was ever going to like tell you um a general problem with the Marvel movies, I would point to this film as having literally all of them at the same time. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of the the one that it feels like an episode rather than like an actual movie like an event mm, yeah. it's like um uh it's kind of like it's there's very little consequences in the movie i don't really think the characters really change or i don't really even aside from um the whole quantum mechanics set up, setting up for endgame you don't need to watch this movie at all it really serves very little purpose um and in general it's kind of like just really like blandly made it's just i don't really remember much of it and i remember by the time we got into the final act and it was a car chase i was just i was just checked i was so checked out and i was just not invested in any of it because i just knew nothing was going to come from it that was going to be like meaningful um and i think you often hear like a film was just blandly made or like competently made Mm -hmm. um and i feel like what people mean by that isn't that it was like a terrible looking or confusing film. It's more just like there's nothing done behind the camera to like empathize, yes, um, any specific point or like mindset or feeling. It's all just film for clarity and a fun time and then you it's over with. <laughs> um, so yeah, I kind of find it hard to even tell you a good point it's funny sometimes i guess <laughs> yeah i mine's higher mm-hmm. in the ranking than it is in yours right but i one of the i i understand what you mean especially when you say it feels like an episode 
Yeah. Um, and one of the main things I always think is really weird about it is it doesn't have like a normal conclusion, like in the final act. Mm. There's no real confrontation. There's no real final no. battle. No. There's it's... literally a little fist fight, <laughs> and then yeah. it's over. It's it's not just that like it's, there's not really an action sort of conflict thing going on. It's more just um, I don't really feel like anything that was being set up to be a plot point came together at all to mean anything. It no, it didn't. It's not like. Um, Endgame or uh, Spider-Man 2 or, or whatever where every the last hour and a half has been building to this, to this last final push beyond the line um, mm-hmm. it's more or less just well I guess we need to have some sort of action climax therefore we'll have a car chase and Ant-Man will be somewhere I don't know even I think he's in the ocean doing something else <laughs> um, and at the same time Character-wise, I feel like what's so dis- disappointing about it is that, um, for one, Ant-Man has barely any place being in the movie. He's just there, and it's more uh, the Wasp movie. He's just but, along for the ride. Yeah, he's just he's just being taken into the movie, and he's kind of just going around in his pajamas for the half of the movie. Um, and yeah, Paul Rudd, he's great, and I think he's very funny, and I feel like he's a great um, Scott Lang. Um but, like, I don't really, aside from Endgame and parts of Ant-Man, I don't feel like he's had uh, enough to go off and be, like, an actually interesting character yet. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and aside from that, it's just they, they want to get uh, Hank Pym's wife back. And at the end of the movie, they just kind of do. And then she comes back. And then the villain doesn't get any sort of comeuppance. It's more like, ah, well, you, you're fine. <laughs> and then just... The music kind of ends with like a, I think it ends with a joke maybe I don't I can't remember. <laughs> it's it ends with um, them putting the house on a beach I think. Does it? Yeah. Oh. Thingy, um, Hank Pym and Janet put a house on a beach. Oh, I might have just literally looked away from that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and oh. no, and and um, Scott gets his ankle bracelet taken off. Oh, okay, and then. Oh, yeah, the post-credits scene is them in the van, isn't it? Yeah, getting yeah. snapped away. Yeah. And a little dusty. And I, Yeah, and I feel like, for me, this is one of those kind of, like, I still don't understand it, and I think they did the same thing with Spider-Man Far From Home, where after the big event movie where everything really, like, got quite serious and there was real, like, stakes and investments, um, for some reason there's this weird new thing with blockbusters where after that you have, you have to have some sort of a, a palate cleanser movie. Mm-hmm. And I I still don't understand this at all. Um, it confuses me so much that you would, after such big, grand, emotional stakes, say to the audience, "But uh, don't worry, <laughs> uh, have a fun time with this one afterwards." Um, it's 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 weird, and I don't really get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. How would you feel about Ant-Man going forward? Um, because I feel this is a good good point to kick off because there has been some I don't want to call it news but there's been some potential news about Ant-Man 3 and one of the villains that's coming to it. Yeah. I forgot about this. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just wanted to get it in. I felt this was a perfect opportunity to do it. Yeah. So um Deadline apparently shared a report that uh, Jonathan Majors mm-hmm. who is in the uh, new HBO Lovecraft Country 
Oh, right, yeah. He was also in The Five Bloods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's where I think I first saw him. Yeah. Um, he has reportedly been cast as a leading a leading role, and the initial report says he is likely to play supervillain Kang the Conqueror. Which is interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, which, it, as well, it's also interesting because he is a descendant of the Richards. Oh, yeah, he is, yeah. Of Reed Richards from the Fantastic Four. And we always thought that maybe they'd use Ant-Man mm-hmm. to ease the Fantastic Four in. Yeah. Um, especially because um, Peyton Reed is he's, he's always wanted to make a Fantastic Four movie. Mm-hmm. So Which would be your, be your dream. It would be my nightmare. <laughs> it's... I don't know if you if you ever seen um, Peyton Reed's previous Ant like to the Ant Man films is like comedy films before that. Um, I watched like one of them by accident. Didn't realize it was him making it until the end. Um, and it's exactly like the Ant Man Ant Man movies, but without the Marvel sort of make sure the characters come first sort of thing. So it's just the it's just a bland, not really that funny comedy, no real stakes, no real growth sort of bland filmmaking approach and um i just don't like that being applied to these movies that are meant to be the fun ones in the mcu uh, because i just think that doesn't really give them any sort of potential weight i mean we all kind of say to each other like oh ant-man what a ridiculous idea like what a ridiculous superhero an ant-man movie but like Spider-Man we take seriously for some reason, like, and Batman is somehow serious, but Ant-Man, no. <laughs> um, so it's weird that it's weird that um, they're treated so, like, I don't want to say lesser, but, again, like, the palette cleanser movies of, like, we've had a big movie, let's have a small movie about nothing in effect, really. <laughs> um, yeah, I wish it, I wish, I hope they do more with this character um, going mm. forward. If you want to hear a bit of praise for Ant-Man, then... Um... <laughs> I might be your only outlook a bit later on. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> do you want to do your last one? My last one is very, a very generic choice for last place. Mm-hmm. Which is strange considering how the Batman list went, but oh well. <laughs> yeah. Um, my 23rd place is the Incredible Hulk. Incredible Hulk, yeah. <laughs> I, it, it's fine. Yeah. It's, it's... just a bit. It, it's for me. It's the only film that, like you pointed out when you were talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, yeah, and Peyton Reed, you, you, you said that um, Marvel has that you know character focus. Mm-hmm. The the character the character stories stand out, and that's what they've done in all the films. Whereas this one feels like the less of that. Yeah, if, if that makes sense. It feels like, like... It's, the, it's the one where that that applies less. I think. Yeah. It's kind of before they recognised the formula in a way. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. 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 And even though like we always go on about how formulas are bad in general, it's still in general I think Marvel have found a pretty good one that at the very least empathizes with the, the characters more than it does with the plot or action. Um so even though we're getting used to the whole Tony Stark um esque arc in Ant Man or whatever, um we still, it's still the characters that are at the forefront, um, but Incredible Hulk is kind of—I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> in a lot of ways, um, I mean, I mean, there are some there are some good parts to it. 
Mm-hmm. And I want to, you know, I do want to highlight them. Yeah. There's the the chase in the slums towards the start of the film. Yeah. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And the action sequence, uh, I think it's at a univer- the university. Oh where yeah. They corner the corner banner in like um. Sound. <laughs> like a glass hallway. Oh yeah, yeah. And he turns into the Hulk and there's all smoke and he bursts out. Mm-hmm. And he yeets Tim um, Thingy Roth against the tree. <laughs> really brutally as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think... Those are, those are good sequences, but other than that, there's not much... There's nothing that makes me want to watch this film again. There's nothing really memorable that's there. Yeah, I feel like I, if I was want to sit down with some friends and just sort of uh, watch these movies, uh, these movies over again, I would probably... Skip over the Hulk movie and not really mention it. Um, yeah, because well, it just feels, for obvious reasons, it feels less connected to the rest. Yeah, it's not the same actor. It's not none of the characters come back aside from the general, and even then, he's barely connected to this movie. Really, uh, yeah. yeah, it's kind of a. People always say it's kind of like the like the the stepchild of the MCU, where you forget like that it's a part of that family in some ways. Mm. <laughs> Which is a good way of playing it because I sometimes just completely forget it exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When um, when we were doing the um, the when we were t- reviewing the stuff on Instagram, mm. I well, we did obviously we did Iron Man because the first one. I immediately went, oh, the next one's Iron Man too. Yeah. I, compl- I need to I needed to check my list <laughs> <laughs> to realise the next one was actually the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't hate uh, Edward Norton as Banner. Same, I don't. I think looking back, it's difficult to <laughs> not to, to know because Mark Ruffalo, you know, he owns it. He does, yeah. And I think he's, I think he's brilliant. Yeah. In the, the team ups that we 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 see him in. Yeah. And it would have been it would have been nice to have seen the origin with him. Yeah, definitely. Um. So looking back and seeing Edward Norton, I just think, eh. <laughs> yeah, why? Um, yeah. Also, um, also the the final battle in the Incredible Hulk is perhaps perhaps the dullest. Yeah, it's, it's just him hitting Abomination and Abomination hitting him back, and then and building. punchy punchy. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess I guess in going back to the Phase One sort of early day MCU movies, I do kind of like seeing the. Um, a different visual kind of kind of um, take on it, where I don't want to like kind of kick the new movies too much when I say this, but like for a lot a lot of time they are shot on digital, they are primarily done on green screens. Um, there's a lot of digital work in these new movies. And speaking of which, yeah, <laughs> other news. What? <laughs> um, did you see that? Um, Love and Thunder is going to be used the volume. Oh yeah. Oh god, yeah, that's gonna be great. I'm so happy. You about just that. reminded me that. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, that makes. I was gonna say because I, I think we talked about last episode maybe. Uh, no, no, the TV show one about the Mandalorian, and how it's. I feel like the volume is definitely going to help with that feeling of artificialness with movies. Um, because I feel like the more CGI gets better, the more tempting it is, and even cost effective it is to just make everything on the green screen. Um, and it does work. I mean, I. At this point, I barely notice when something is CG and something is um, real. Um, but I, well, maybe that's not true because sometimes I just 
seeing like Tenet recently, it was so clear to me that anything I was seeing was a real like photographed real thing. Um, whereas when I go to like a uh, Infinity War, I do for the most part do see a digital the digital landscape, and I do feel like I'm watching um, VFX artists at all times just going at it, and it looks great. CGI always almost always looks great but it's always interesting going back to these early movies and seeing like a real street a real set or like a real explosion or stuff like that that these don't get as often now um which Mm -hmm. is a shame i would like to have more of it i think the volume is going to be a good midpoint of like halfway between real and not real and um yeah i yeah I feel I mean, like um, we also have the benefit of knowing that the Eternals is going to be mostly practical as well. Yeah, which is nice. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Chloe Zhao just came out with a movie in um, the festival in Venice, I think. Oh, um, Nomadland. Yeah, and it's getting very good reviews. Yeah, it was uh, an Oscar buzz, isn't it? Yeah, um, and I feel like her having so much kind of leeway on this new movie, uh, The Eternals, I think they're shooting on like 35mm film, they're doing real sets, there's all these, they're having a Bollywood dancing. Um, I think that's kind of indicative when Marvel or any studio trust a director so much that they kind of just say, you do it you, your way, <laughs> uh, compared to a pick and read where it's kind of just, we have what we do, do it like that with Ant-Man in it, <laughs> um, which is, it defines the great ones from the fine ones, you know? Um, so I'm excited for more stuff like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you also see that again. We're gonna, we're going to get back to the ranking. Oh yeah, <laughs> but um, you see it with a lot of the directors that they've got moving forward. Mm-hmm. That a lot of them are more. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how to put this politely. Yeah, <laughs> like the, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with the directors we've had in the past. Yeah. But you can clearly see that a lot of them are what you might call more creative, visionary directors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People who haven't... What, what, what I guess I mean by that is people that haven't necessarily made their name doing blockbuster films. Yeah. And mainstream films. Like, you have doing um, Shang-Chi, you have... I've got to get the name right. Um, Daniel... No... Destin Daniel Crichton, I think. I think it is that. It's something like that. Definitely. Yeah. Wait for my IMD to, IMD, IMD, IMDB to load. <laughs> um, it is something like that. Um, here it comes. Here it comes. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Destin Daniel Crichton. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. then you ha- you also have, obviously, you have James Gunn with Guardians 3. Yep. Um... What else is there? Uh, Sam Raimi. <laughs> Hopefully. It's so weird hearing that now. I know, isn't it? It's like, is it real? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's just crazy thought. It's, I, I was... can't like, wait to see any sort of footage from that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. <sighs> um, but yeah, um, as well, you still have, like I said, you still have James Gunn. You still have uh, Ryan Coogler, which is the one. Taika Waititi, mm-hmm. and there was another one I was thinking of. The name has escaped me. <laughs> Chloe Zhao. 
Yeah, it's Chloe Zhao, obviously, for Tales, and Kate Shortland, who's doing Black Widow. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, what film is it? <laughs> um... <laughs> oh god I, i'm not gonna be able to move on without without knowing what it is <laughs> gonna be one of those that's it the captain marvel sequel oh my god yeah jesus christ no <sighs> the what uh, i pressed that one that's not the right film god damn oh. it oh my god <laughs> this is a mess what, what a mess this has turned out to be we're, we're rusty <laughs> look it's um, been a while yeah oh. i had a break the Candyman director Oh, right. Okay. I know. I think I know which one you mean, but I can't remember the name. Nia da Costa. Right. Okay. Oh. We got there. We got there. We got there at the end. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. My head's all over the place. You need to get information, don't you? Film number 22. <laughs> um, does it mean now? You. Um, my second to last movie is For the Dark World. Um, it's kind of a you know generic pick. Everyone kind of says that this is the worst one. Mm-hmm. I, my my 22nd is the same. Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of always in that area. Um, it's hard to make an argument for it as like a as like a good film. It's at at most it's fine. At points, it's I would even go as far as say it's actually kind of really bad. Um, I feel like it's. The, the the comedy sort of thing of like just ruining the tension or drama to like a the maximum. Um and I feel like uh well we see Loki die and the fact that I think it's like three minutes after he dies, um there's immediately like some sort of joke that happens about a phone having a funny ring t- ringtone. Um and even though yes, he didn't actually die, um it's still weird that to the audience watching that then you think Loki's dead, and then all of a sudden there's a joke about a phone ringtone. Um, and it's very... It feels like they made the Avengers. People really enjoyed some of the the tension-breaking jokes, which, which, which in that movie really work well, because it's never it never gets in the way of actual tension. It's always there to ruin tension. That was never meant to be tension to begin with. So Loki, Loki getting smashed around is funny because... It's not ruining an actually big moment. It's more like, oh, another generic speech. Oh, it's not. It's actually going to be a comedic, a comedic beatdown in a way. <laughs> um, but with Ford Dark it feels like, I mean, the amount of comedic sidekicks in that movie is is bizarre. It's so weird how many. There's a British guy. There's um, Kat Dennings. There's, I guess we're going to we can count Peter Skarsgård as also a comedic comedic. Um, um, oh yeah, because in the yeah. That yeah, bit with the shoe. <laughs> yeah, um, Thor is again not quite there as a character yet when it comes to Ragnarok and Infinity War. He's kind of I don't want to say he's got nothing going on because he does, but when you compare him in four one to four two, it's confusing how in four one he has such a big arc in that film, and in the second one, I at the beginning of the movie he doesn't he doesn't want to be king. At the end of the movie, he doesn't want to be king, and nothing really happened in between that. Um, we haven't really changed. Nothing really happened because Loki's still alive. The world was saved by a generic. The world's a colliding threat, um, and the romance is still a bit iffy about whether they're together or not. Um, it's it's a pointless film. It's a general. It's a kind of a drag to get through. It feels like it's just. 
it's just kind of just getting time you know i don't know what even i don't even know what it's doing for the most part <laughs> it's a lot of just mcguffin searching and just like oh the world's gonna end because the the alignment of the stars whatever um mm. yeah not in good defense, there are there are some decent parts of it i think loki's pretty good in it yeah i think the dynamic between loki and thor is probably it's the best we've seen that dynamic Potentially yeah. until Ragnarok. Yeah, it's kind of. Do you never really see them together? Not really, no. <laughs> um, and then you have that, and then you have Asgard looks as good uh-huh. as the first film yeah. to defend it, defend the film. But I think, again, I think it's not. At the end of the day, I put it above the Incredible Hulk because. The Incredible Hulk isn't one that I... If it was on TV... Yeah. I might not watch it. <laughs> right. If I hadn't seen it for a while, I probably would. Yeah. Whereas I think if Thor The Dark World was on TV, mm-hmm. I'd be more likely to watch it. I have a weird experience with this where I actually did, like, when I was like... It was like midnight and I watched... I put on TV and it was... It was on TV by chance. It was halfway through, and I was watching it. And like, I got ten minutes into it, and I realized that I, I'm not. I don't just think this movie is fine. I think it's actually quite bad. <laughs> um, and I was, I had to literally turn it off. <laughs> I couldn't really make it to the end. Um, it's yeah. I I agree that I would probably be more likely to watch it than Incredible Hulk, um, even if just for like the comedy that the Marvels known for compared to Incredible Hulk where it's kind of a straightforward story that isn't very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one at least is not not interesting story but has some enjoyment level to it. Um, but mm. it's hard for me to enjoy a movie that it's it's so just it's blah. It's so like it's just like I can't I just it oh god it's <laughs> it's once again one of those plots where the stars are aligning and the world's going to end and you've got to find the MacGuffin. And that's fine. There's plenty of great movies built on that premise. There's Indiana and Jones movies that built on that premise. Uh, and it's but the fact that there's nothing more than that, it's just the plot and there's very little character. Um, and the whole movie hinges hinges on Loki being our central sort of character that experiences the most conflict and growth. And then he dies halfway through and then he comes back as an in the end for a for a teaser for the next film. It's it's not enough for me to say this film has anything on its mind. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's kind of a, it's all over the place for me. It's actually kind of messy in some ways as well. Um, yeah, I just I would rather ignore this one <laughs> altogether. Uh, yeah, <laughs> going to move on to twenty one then. Uh, yeah, is it me? Yeah, you go. Um, my third from last is Ant Man. The first one. Okay. Uh, it's... Okay. So I think the same rule of what I just said about Iron Man and Wasp applies to this film, aside from a bit less. Um, I do think there's a semblance of a good, strong arc there for Ant-Man himself, becoming the actual Ant-Man and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think it doesn't do a great job. I do think it does a good enough job being a heist film, in a way. Um, it's unlike Ant-Man and the Wasp has a climax, I feel like a climax. 
Um, but again, aside from that, I don't feel like the emotional scenes are given enough weight to them. I feel like it's always kind of the emotional scene and then the rest of the film. It's always it never the two don't really intertwine. It's always oh, um, um, the wasp is upset about her dad and all this stuff and these themes of fatherhood and then a joke and then the rest the rest of the movie happens and then the heist and then the acting bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't feel like a movie that has its heart in the right place for me in some ways um, compared to an Iron Man movie or even a, the first four movie which um, which did the, have a similar sort of structure and formula to them but their heart is in the right place because they're not they're not on purpose, like, they're not on purpose saying to the audience, don't worry, we're in on the job too, it's Ant-Man. It's like, it's weird to me that it's done that way, and it's also weird to me that the majority of the film just feels very weightless to me. It doesn't really feel like it's it's going anywhere aside from, well, you need to know this character for Civil War. You know, it just feels like, doing doing time <laughs> or doing a chore i guess before watching an actual good movie in this franchise mm. uh, which again it has some i mean the daughter the daughter father like thing there is very good i think um, yeah i guess so that for me is the overriding idea that comes through mm-hmm. i really like the dynamic they have which does get explored in ant-man and the wasp yeah uh, but the just the relationship between them and that and that his daughter is the main focus for him. Yeah, it's probably probably the first character in the the MCU that is a father, as in the first main character. I think it is. Yeah, the to first. be to have that aspect to him. Yeah, like be a parent. Uh, yeah, a parent, not not just a father, but like a yeah. parent. Because the rest of the people are kind of like people that are upset about their parents and <laughs> and, not, um, and this way it's the opposite way around um, it's interesting. I suppose you do you do also have um, Clint oh yeah that's true yeah but technically speaking yeah Clint's reveal of being a parent comes after Ant-Man no it, it does doesn't. does it not no oh, oh, no, yeah. before Ant-Man one minute before <laughs> disregard my statement <laughs> ignore it all uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, yeah. Again, yeah. The father daughter thing is is a highlight for sure. When I think about these movies, I always think that's a good element I want to see explored more. Um, but again, it, it's it feels like it's it's like those. It's not really doesn't really care about being that father daughter daughter story. It's kind of more about anything else that's enjoyable for the audience to go through and then leave. In, in two hours and go home and be happy about it. It's, mm. it's. I don't want to. I don't. I don't think this is a bad movie. I really, or maybe it is. <laughs> I just think it's kind of. It's similar to Amanda Wasp. It's just. It's always flat to me, and I never feel any sort of emotional high or low. I don't really feel any. Any sort of sweetness or any, any any coldness. I just don't really feel anything watching it. It's more just. Uh, it's a fun thing to watch two hours and not be bored by, I guess. Um, which I wish again, I wish was I wish it had more going on. Like, and similar, I guess similar to I'm on the Wasp. Once again, it's after an event movie. It was after the, the second Avengers movie, mm-hmm. and I think it's meant to be a sort of palate, palate cleanser once again. 
Um, yeah, I, I think it'd be it'd be good to actually see an Ant Man film that isn't something to bookend or come after a, a main heavy thing. Yeah, it's it'd be nice to have one that is sort of able to have its own space within Phase yeah. Four. Meant to be its own thing and like just the the movie off that franchise for a year, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I do think that's somewhat of a downfall in general of Marvel, like. They're making more and more movies each and every year, so it's hard to be to to kind of. <coughs> sorry. <laughs> what was that? I was a sneeze. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was terrifying. <laughs> sorry. Um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. because yeah, they're making more and more movies every year, it's kind of hard for you to to say to yourself that this movie they really poured everything into because. They can't. They have, to, they have to spread out their intentions between four films now a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is Ant-Man has always been the one that's been getting the least off, off that attention, um, sadly. Uh, <laughs> what's your next one? Um, my 21. I'd like to say also before I do this is that from now on, there's only really Thor The Dark World and Incredible Hulk that I will consider... Just, I suppose not. Just, just decent. That's the best way I could describe them. <laughs> yeah, really, they're just fine. Whereas every, every for me after this point, going onward, including this number twenty-one, yeah. I do find them enjoyable. Yeah, they're they're good. <laughs> that being said, my twenty-one is Iron Man two. Ah, I see. Okay. <laughs> Why is that? It's something I was. <sighs> these next three hours really torn between how how to arrange them yeah but basically it's as low as it is because it's a very messy film yeah it's all the bliss <laughs> it's um, really messy it's here there and everywhere mm-hmm. they're the main villain is pretty pretty poor yeah um your dad stole my father's technology girl <laughs> Girl, I'm angry. I'm rushing on bad guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've got an accent. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's just very, it's very, it's too, it's too straightforward in terms yeah. of the one. That being said, I do really like Justin Hammer. Oh, he's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Sam Rockwell is great. Yeah. Rewatching it, he was a real, really pleasant surprise. Yeah, came out of nowhere. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I think yeah. Tony's still great in this. Yeah. It continues the journey. It's a bit of a shaky one. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uneven. Yeah. I still do think the... I do still like the um, the scene where he watches all the footage of his dad. Mm-hmm. That yeah. little monologue from his dad is still... For me, it's it's pretty pretty emotional. Yeah, I would say it's probably the highlight of the film. Same, I always think about that scene whenever I think about the good points of this movie. Yeah, uh, but part of me does think that a lot of it, a lot of it does retread the ground of the first one. Yeah, it does. In terms of party lifestyle, I've got to learn to be better. Yeah, it's it's kind of like it starts off with kind of a strong sort of idea of him being somehow worse than he was in the first film. Um, especially from the fact that he's dying from his own arc reactor. 
um, and his own lifestyle. Um, I'd, I'd like the the arc reactor killing him aspect. I do as well. Yeah, it's just I, think... I feel like him still having that lifestyle, sort of not not majorly, but sort of contradicts the first one. Kind of, yeah. It, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to kind of like put it, but it does feel like simultaneously a really good starting point for this film, but also a really bad follow up to the last one. Um, yeah, uh, but. I, again, I don't really think it does a good job handling that really good idea of him killing himself, essentially. Because mm-hmm. uh, it, it's just so all over the place. So if, like, Russian bad guy, but then Justin Hammer, but then Russian bad guy is dead, but he's not because Tony is, doesn't even know about him. Like, I think it's fascinating that... And I know it's a generic example at this point, but the Joker and Batman and the Dark Knight, they are constantly at, like, odds with each other. They are constantly in contact and experiencing consequences of each other's actions. Um, but And it's so weird to see a movie, Iron Man 2, in which for, I think, like an hour of the film, Tony thinks that um, Vanko is dead. Like, they don't even know each other exists yet. Um, and then when it comes at the end, it feels like a, well, he was at the beginning of the film, so I guess he has to be at the end, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, and I do feel like behind the scenes, there's like a lot of, there was a lot of, Interference, I think. Um, I think there, there was a plan to make a really great sequel about Tony, get more deep, not bigger, more like more like intimate. Um, but I think, I think it was the growing pains of Marvel back then, and I think they didn't realize that that was their biggest strength yet. And I think they kind of said, "Well, go bigger and have more characters and do more Iron Man suits and do all this." And mm-hmm. it, it, the story and the characters really got really got lost in the mix. Um, and there's some great moments. I think for the majority, the action is fantastic in this movie. Mm, yeah, it is. Especially the war machine and Tony versus the um, the drones in the in the garden. Um, yeah, it's it's very it's an insanely inventive sequence, and I really wish that Marvel action kind of was kind of like that again, where it was definitely made by John Favreau or not some VFX. VFX guys in in poor production, um, and I really I really kind of miss these that element of it. But at the same time, I think Marvel have learned the lessons from this movie and decided to like not be so universe building centered. <laughs> um, mm, yeah, they have. Yeah, the building block in more ways than one. Yeah, definitely. It sets the scene for the Avengers, where it also it's a lesson for Marvel. Yeah, I feel like. If Iron Man is anything that's good about the MCU, then Iron Man 2 is everything bad about it. <laughs> um, which is a shame, I guess. <laughs> really. Which they do correct. They do. They get better. Get credit. Yeah. And um, also, I think the... I'm not completely comfortable with the Black Widow's introduction. Yeah. <laughs> looking back, looking at um, what happens with the character and how she grows and develops. This you year. look at where she is and that's the end game. Yeah, you compare it to this film. She does. She doesn't feel like a character in this one. She's she's definitely not. <laughs> it's again, I think a similar thing of like they were trying to build a universe, and they thought that what people wanted was the universe right there and right now, um, which led to Black Widow being in the movie. But why? I still don't know. <laughs> Nick Fury's in there. Why? I still don't know. <laughs> uh, why is 
of why are you spending so much time setting up Black Widow when you could be time doing the villain of the movie, you know? Like, um, mm. it's, it's, yeah, it's so weird. There's many weird choices in this film. And I, I've always felt bad for the movie because I feel like, I feel like there's a good, a really great sequel somewhere in here. Like, oh, yeah. I feel like if this movie was allowed to, the, allowed to be the movie it was meant to be, this could have been a dark night of the Batman Begins. Um, but instead, we kind of got a studio medals sort of affair. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't ideal. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to move yeah. on? Um, yeah, I think it's your pick, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, okay, this might be controversial. Um, my fourth from last um, is a movie that I do think is better than where I put it in some ways, but I think because it kind of like, I don't want to say it offends me, but it kind of just, and it's not, I just kind of hate this movie in a lot of ways. Um, Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, I'm so sorry. Um, It breaks my heart. I know. I know. I can't help it though. I just, I know. I've seen this film, I want to say three times now. And each time it's gotten a lot worse. Um, the first time I was kind of like, it was fine. I wish it was better, but it was kind of like an, an Ant-Man movie, but had some good scenes in there. And then I watched it again, and I really just, it just, it broke my heart. And then and then I watched it again, because I think it was like on the background on like Prime TV or something like that. And I just kind of watched a good half an hour of it. And I think it was like the whole Venice sequence. And um I just couldn't, I couldn't be invested in that movie and I couldn't attach to anything. Um, and I, I just, oh God, I really, I think, I think tomorrow I'm going to do like an opinion post about this kind of problem. Um, oh no. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and it's like the, um, the, the stakes of this movie are so low for the entire time I feel it's, it, there's no real consequences to from this movie or like leading into this. There's no real like chains, I would say. There's more like I I get what you mean, but then for me there is because one of the obvious things to point out when you talk about there being no consequences is obviously a bit where he nearly kills his mate. Yeah, on yeah. the bus. Yeah. Um, but I feel like for the stakes, there's. There's plenty in the final battle ways of rushing to save MJ. Mm, yeah, and for me, it's more—it's more the personal aspect of it. But like, I think it's for me. It's just like I don't understand the choices that, that they they make because I feel like if I was a writer and I was given these perfect setups, if I was told that you've got to make a movie that's jumping off from the end game, a movie where Peter Parker just died. <laughs> um, He's back from the dead. We have no idea what, what the state of his affairs are. We have no idea how his friends are going to act. We have no idea how he feels about losing Tony. If I was a writer, I would adore this setup so much. It would be like it would be an incredible setup. It's just a great. It's so full of drama and so full of heart from the get go. Um, and it's weird to me that from the beginning they kind of just go, well, yeah, everyone died, and but everyone came back and they didn't really experience any pain and. Um, Aunt May was killed in the snap, therefore she didn't really lose Peter, she came came back with him. Um, all his friends by chance didn't really get killed, they were and I get that 
behind the scenes wise it makes sense because you can't really age up these characters and then just go but Peter's five going to be five years younger. I can I get that. I do, but and it, it's just it's a film that feels like it's trying to say one thing about Peter wanting to be an Avenger or to be um or to be the next Tony Stark or to be his own hero, um his own Spider Man. Um, but I feel like it's it always feels like an afterthought. And my favorite scenes in movies are the ones that are dealing with these consequences very well. And so scenes where Peter is getting bombarded by questions about is he going to be the next Iron Man? And he has to go away. It's the the scene on the plane. Um, um, there's some kind of emotional scenes going on with him and uh, Mysterio as well. And I think those are some real standout moments that I generally really like. Uh, but it's kind of like the kind of like just little moments in this fun adventure to Europe that has nothing really going on. I mean. Ned for the entire movie is having a girlfriend for no reason. That means nothing aside from a comedic joke. Um, I guess Peter likes MJ now, but I don't really know why. Um, that it's cute, I guess. I don't really know why they like each other though. Um, they get together at the end. Okay. Aunt <laughs> um, May is completely completely fine with his, um, her son going out to be shot by people at midnight. Um, Happy Hogan is dating on me. Why? I don't know. <laughs> it's funny, I guess. Um, and I, it's, I think it's by far my least favorite Spider-Man film. Um, because it, even with all the mess that the main Spider-Man two has, at least it has some genuine, genuine attempt to be some sort of grand operatic character-based story, even though it fails completely. Um. Whereas I feel like from the get-go, the whole point of the story was to be, like Ant-Man and the Wasp, a fun palate cleanser to an event movie. Um, and I've, yeah, I, I don't like it. <laughs> well, I, I would say I, I disagree on most of those points. Okay. <laughs> but if you want to hear them, you'll have to wait until I get to it in my list. Way Number one. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll go through, I think it's pretty easy to go through my points when we reach it on my list. Okay, okay. Um, but I, I'm 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 not just going to leave you hanging. <laughs> I'm going to offer you something. Okay. I I would I would counter that in. I think it's exactly what it needs to be. Okay. In that it helps show contrast between what the other students think of it to what Peter feels because. The other students seem quite blasé about it, which, mm-hmm. fair enough, they're not going to be in real life if half of them disappeared and then reappeared suddenly. Yeah. But for the purpose of this being a film, mm-hmm. I feel like it shows a great contrast between how how they're all so willing to move on, mm-hmm. yet Peter isn't because he feels like he's lost, lost the, the, perhaps the biggest father figure that he has in his life. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and it's it, it it's great for showing that they don't understand, and they're all when it comes to him being Spider Man, he's constantly being asked questions mm-hmm. uh, by the journalist who's going to be the new Iron Man or stuff like that. Yeah, and it, it for me that the, the contrast works well. It's why Mysterio works well in the way that he comes in. He's able to wriggle into Peter's life because nobody else understands. Mm. Yeah. 
yeah. and and him wanting to be a normal, having a normal life, and wanting to have the the same life that he sees his friends and other students are having. Yeah, I feel that's a really solid motivation, a real solid core to have to the film. Yeah, like he wants to run away from being Spider Man. Yeah, because because he sees the normal life and he doesn't want to endure any more of the pain that he's felt after seeing Tony die. I I get I do get that. I get that that can is there in some in ways. I do I do see that. Um it's just for me the movie it never feels like it's interesting in actually doing it. It just seems more like a bullet point, like sort of like he's sad about Tony dying, we'll have one scene about that and then at the end he'll have a playing scene. And then the third I get that, I see that. It yeah, it kinda I, I, for some reason, in my head, I cannot mix the two things of Peter is grieving over the death of his father figure and the death of himself in some ways. Um, and at the same time, he wants to go to Europe and have fun. And it's going to be a fun adventure movie with rom-com elements and Venice and whatever. Like, And it rarely, if ever for me, melds together. Um, mm-hmm. I don't feel like the two movies are playing the same story. Um, and a great example of me is when it comes to when I come to stakes and consequences. What I mean is, I don't. It's not like Picard have to die. I don't really. I think death is a great way for um, great way of making your story seem more meaningful or more um, important and intense. But what? Mm-hmm. But stakes are more kind of chains and consequence, and you do an action, and this action can lead to bad things or good things. It doesn't just. It's not just a choice that happens and we move on. Um, and I feel like for me, this movie's full of those moments where if something happens and then we just move on. Um, and then it's so weird because I think like I because I never I never really get engaged in the scene on the plane where he talks to Happy Hogan about um, mm. he want to he can't live up to that mantle of being Iron Man, and Happy's all like, well, he wasn't perfect either. And I feel like from the get go, the stakes are. Peter has nothing. He has no iron spider suit. There's no sort of technology he's got. There's no backup. There's no hero that's going to help him. Um, he's got nothing. And then, but even before that, he's you know he's on. You can just call Happy Hogan and get a jet to come to his the country that he's in. <laughs> um, it's again that's a weird thing to me. That it was just like a, it was just like a downfall for that character to be hit by that train and all that stuff. And then we wake up in the prison cell and it's immediately funny from the get go. Um, and then he's getting a phone call to from a jet, and he's going to get a jet, and he's going to get a jet to go home. <laughs> it feels like un Spider Man in a lot of ways, but also just meh, <laughs> kind of like it didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And then, and then again at the end of that scene of the the one scene that I really really loved at the end of that scene, instead of being his own own hero and being um, a hero that can make things on from nothing and be that working-class hero that is the average guy it's him getting told by happy hogan oh don't worry we've got some technology gear in the back of this plane and i'll play some acdc from the first film um and you can be the next iron man and that's kind of the way i read it it was saying one thing but showing me something else um and it didn't yeah because i'd i'd come i'd completely read that another way yeah i'd read that more from happy's point of view in that He's found another surrogate best friend. 
That's true. Yeah. In a way, in the way, the way that I, I don't, I don't necessarily see it. Is it looking like Peter's <laughs> going to become Iron Man? Yeah. Or Iron Man Two. I see it more as happy is happy that he's got somebody else. Yeah, and he's reminded. He's reminded of Tony. It's helping him move on from Tony. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah. I guess that's nice for that character at least. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. I just find it hard to. I hard. I find it hard, like really hard, to, like take anything out of this movie without, without kind of at the same time going. But the movie didn't really do anything to dramatize this moment. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like whenever I read into it to try and make it better for myself, it just doesn't. It doesn't ring true to what was being attempted behind the camera. Yeah. Um, so I do think that stuff is there to be read into, but I don't think it was ever. The tone was never meant to be that intense or uh, consequential. Um, mm. And for me, I get that a lot of people. For I, I get that for a lot of people. Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man. His movies are the best ones. They capture the youth of the character, the comedy, the the high school drama aspect of it. And I do feel like I can completely understand that and I get it. Um, but for me, as someone, I don't even want to say I've connected to Spider-Man 2. I feel like even without Spider-Man 2, it's just like I would rather it was more of a, a grand story about this character's very small, um, average life, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah, it's kind of like a different take. And I guess for me, this new take that I'm seeing, I can't really, I just can't find a way to connect with it in the same way I can with better, not maybe not better, but like just different interpretations that I enjoy way more. Yeah, uh, I understand that. Yeah. Do you want to move on? <laughs> yeah. We've done, we've done like four films in an hour. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, it's going to be quick, though. My number 20 is that one of the Wasp. Oh, okay. Similar, similar to what you said. Mm-hmm. It's a really strange feeling film mm-hmm. with the pacing and the, the final battle as well. But I, it's higher in the ranking for me, mainly because I do enjoy it. I think it's quite fun. Yeah. Matt just stick it on for a bit of enjoyment. <laughs> I think Paul Rudd's great. Yeah. I love him with that man. I absolutely love him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think what they, what they do with the wasps also pretty good. Her action sequence in the kitchen, I like that. Pretty good, yeah. Um, yeah, Michael Pena as well. The flash being not the flashbacks, but the um, where he explains stuff. Yeah, the Michael Pena moments. Anyway, I like them. A comedic run through for the two films. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's it really. Yeah, that's <laughs> all I really have to say for it. Yeah, it's it's fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you want to go on to your number nineteen? Uh, yeah. Uh. My number 19 is The Incredible Hulk. Uh, okay. It's above the rest of those other, the other ones because even though I would, again, like I said before, I wouldn't really watch it if it was on TV, it's more just like a a fascinating sort of like, well, Marvel used to have, like, didn't really figure out the formula and they were kind of like going out to real countries and filming on real rooftops and all this and they were shooting on film and they were doing like real action and like, and I, whilst I do like their new films a lot, I just, I do kind of miss these sort of elements. And I feel like it's a real, it's kind of like a nostalgia trip going back to that time period where they hadn't really figured out what they were doing yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't help but, I can't help but, but I kind of find it 
enchanting in a way, kind of like seeing something you know and love be so different. Um, I think I like how it's, you compare like maybe the first Mission Impossible compared to the ones we see now. Um, it's very different in genre and tone compared to what we do now. And it's kind of just like a fascinating sort of, well, we didn't really do it this way that back then. It was kind of weird and interesting. And I wonder what would happen if we kept on doing that sort of like style of making these movies. Um, so I kind of, I find it interesting in that way. So. Yeah, I understand that point of view. Yeah. It being on film just looks, it looks, it's not majorly different, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you were probably a non, a non-film student, I don't mean that in a snobby way. Yeah. I yeah. mean that in the way that if you're not somebody who's actively looking for visual differences. Yeah. It's I think you might not notice it. It might not stand out as much. Yeah, it might not. Yeah. I think you still, I still maybe notice it. Like I think there's a clear, I think there's a clear difference between Iron Man and Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you might think, oh, it looks a bit different. Yeah, it kind of has a different sheen to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do we move on? Yeah, we can do. Was that number 19? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah. My number 19 is one that... I almost don't want to put it this low. Mm-hmm. But I put it there because of all the stuff I probably like more. Right. So I do feel a bit bad putting this, this as low as I have. Right. My number nineteen is Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Okay. Okay. And mainly because rewatching it and thinking back, it's got a few problems. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have that big... Like in a lot of Marvel films, you have even something like Bull the Dark World, where, like we said with Incredible Hulk, you think of that, that big moment where you define this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like for, for the Incredible Hulk, you might think oh, you might think of the chase at the beginning or the action sequence in the university. For Thor the Dark World, you might think of Loki dying or the funeral. Oh yeah, and okay. it's yeah. certainly the case for some of the later ones. Yeah, but for me, Captain Marvel doesn't really—it didn't really have that moment, and that in itself is not necessarily a criticism. Mm-hmm. It's just that nothing, nothing significant for me really happens in it. That's true. Yeah, the significant—the significance that's there is more of the consequences of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like as a result of the film, uh, Captain Marvel's going to go off and she's going to help the Skrulls. Yeah. And but, there's nothing really other significant for me. Yeah. I feel, I think I said this in a review that we did on Instagram where, for once, the villain is not a problem, it's actually the hero. Um, it's it's a weird one because I feel like they've, by this point, I think the formula so well that it was surprising that. Coming out of this film, I felt like the main character was the one that suffered suffered the most. Because, mm. uh, like, I don't really like Captain Marvel. It's not going to do a brief last. I think he does a pretty good job with what he's given. Mm. Uh, but, but it's what he's given is very little compared to uh, Tony Stark or Captain America. Yeah, I, I see her like life before the movie starts, or like anything about her human life is kind of like 
sort of glossed over. <laughs> it's weird, you know. Yeah, I feel like it's it's a weird case where I think, and I wrote this in my review on the Instagram one as well. Yeah. I feel like the burden that was placed on this film made it struggle a bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you have this big burden of it being the first female-led superhero film in the Marvel Universe. Right. Across the pond, as you would, you've got Wonder Woman absolutely smashing it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe putting a bit of pressure on on this. Not right. for not for, not for anybody who actually knows that the, the, the rivalry between the two is nonsense anyway. Yeah, it's kind of not existent. <laughs> but, you know, it, it is maybe still there looming a little bit for some people. Like, there are a lot of people that are unfortunately very DC is yeah. better than Marvel or Marvel's better than DC which isn't the case for most people thankfully yeah but <laughs> you have that pressure on it to do well and to have a female character that people aren't going to criticize because mm-hmm. the danger I think the danger now is if you're a studio and you think yeah we're going to have a, a film with a female lead, lead superhero we're going to have a film with um, a person of colour as mm-hmm. the main lead superhero or yeah. someone who's gay or bisexual. Yeah. You automatically are at risk of people singling it out. Yeah, oddly. <laughs> Unfortunately, it shouldn't happen. Yeah. It's really sad that it does, but it does happen. Yeah. And if with them having the female lead and with, with them also casting Brie Larson... Mm-hmm. You automatically have the people, the unfortunates out there, yeah, who are gonna immediately just go for like, it because <laughs> they review bombed it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's sad, mm-hmm. but I think because of that, I think they probably put a bit too much pressure on themselves in getting getting Captain Marvel to have a likable personality. I might have been it, yeah. <laughs> and instead, what you have is a really weird mix of many different personalities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's a bit of Tony Stark in there. There's one example where she's really sarcastic about a hat. Yeah. With the logo on. And you can see that that's very Tony Stark. Yeah. it's. You have a bit of, you have a bit of Thor in there as well. Mm-hmm. The arrogance of Thor. Yeah. And it doesn't really blend to make a personality that completely feels real. Like, I think Brie Larson does a really good job. Yeah. And I'm glad, like, moving forward now, the, that, that burden of it being the first isn't on the film. Going forward, I think you are going to have a more accurate, not, not necessarily accurate, but more of a concise and decided character. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it because I feel like there's, it's a character that has a lot of potential. Yeah, it's I it's confusing because from my thing about her arc I'm going from like a a person controlled by aliens to be um, emotionless uh, less um, to a person who is full of emotion and lets that lets that be her power. Um, that's a really solid idea for an arc for her character, um, but. The way that they perform it or write it is so 
it feels like nothing's changed because at the beginning of the movie, there's one where she's very, she's very arrogant and uh, quippy and funny and whatever. And by the end of the movie, she's still the same. And it's just kind of, it's not, there hasn't been really a change there. It's more like there was a reveal that the scrolls was, the scrolls weren't evil. They were actually not, they were actually like refugees. Um, and whilst this did like shock the character, it didn't, it never kind of made her question her own beliefs or anything. It was more mm-hmm. just a, a twist in the movie instead of a twist for the character. Um, so I feel like, I just don't really feel like in that movie we got to see a real origin story where I felt like by the end of the movie I'm seeing Captain Marvel. Um, it just kind of feels like I see Captain Marvel in the very beginning and by the end she's just wearing a different suit. Mm. <laughs> um, so, and then again, I think my biggest point of it is in the trailer we saw all these really great glimpses of her life when she was going when she was at, on Earth as a kid. Um, and falling down and getting back up and all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But in the movie, we we only see those glimpses that we saw in the trailer. It's not any longer than that. It's just little glimpses of it. Um, it there's no real scenes of her when she's younger getting told to be told to not get up or not do something because she's a woman. It's more just hinted at, I guess. It's it's not really an arc for it. It's more like maybe this happened in a backstory. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. It's weird because I think the villain is pretty good, um, and I think yeah. I'm gonna say I like I like Ben Mendelsohn as Talos. Yeah, and I also really like Jude Law. Yeah, I think he's pretty good. Yeah, they're doing good jobs, <laughs> mm. and they're also characters I am looking forward to seeing more of. Same, I I don't think this is the end for Captain Marvel. I don't think like this movie ruined any possibility of her, possibility of her being a good character. I just think I, I want think to see. A, I think it's a very solid, but also a very safe. Yeah, start. it's it's just like we got a character. She's quippy. She's funny. She's the arrogant. That's it for the movie. Get used to it for like the next four movies, I guess. <laughs> um, and I, I wish she just had more to do in this movie. In this in these movies, um, and, and Endgame, I totally understand with her character leaving her to the side a bit. Um, not because she's so she's so powerful that she would easily defeat Thanos. It's more just this that wasn't her movie. Um, Endgame it's not was very story. Much, not yeah. It was more of a Avengers um, original Avengers movie, um, and I think focusing on Captain America, Captain Marvel in that situation would have been a bit distracting, I guess. Um, so I feel like having her. Having her take a back seat so far has been a good idea, and I can't wait for her to get a movie that's really good. Yeah, um, that puts her at the forefront. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that for from the new director um, and the whole because I think they've overhauled the entire creative team for that new movie coming out. Um, and it's, I don't want to like kick the other directors that made the previous one, but like I feel like they were very nervous making a Marvel movie and didn't really know what they were doing quite like yet. Um, because even the action scenes in Captain Marvel, is, they're very jarring. They're very, like, they're edited so weirdly to me. Um, and I can't quite figure out what it is. It's so, like, they edit at, like, the wrong points. <laughs> uh, and the action, it it's kind of breezes, breezes over you and you kind of don't really feel it. Um, yeah, it's a... Uh, ah, uh, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you want to move on? Yeah. Um, You're number 18. So, my number 18. 
Oh, it's Captain Marvel. <laughs> Was it? Yeah, yeah all those here must have there. Just again. <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah. What's yours? Um, just give me another quick one. My number 18 is Ant-Man. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I quite like this film. I, you know, I, I feel it a bit more. I'm going to concede there are problems with it. The villain, for example, is the definition of one note. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, one of the worst ones. Definitely. That being said, I do quite like the battle in the uh, Scott Lang's daughter's bedroom mm-hmm. with, the, with, the, with the Thomas the Tank Engine. I find that, <laughs> at least on the surface, very amusing. Yeah. Um, but the rest of it, if you, if you see it as Scott Lang's film, I think it's good. Again, for me... Paul Rudd is excellent. Oh yeah, I really like Paul Rudd as a general actor, as a person, but also <laughs> in this role, I think he's made for it in the more more comedic, but also the more dramatic parts. Yeah, that's true. Um, I know we're probably a way off Endgame, but I'm going to say that one of the one of the things that really helps sell me for Paul Rudd as Ant Man are some of his scenes in Endgame. Yeah, and as well in this one, I feel like he really sells the dramatic part as well as the comedic aspects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's um he's a highlight for sure, I think. Mm. And that's that's all all I really have to say <laughs> <laughs> on this one movie. Um, Seventeen. Wanna, wanna go on the next one? Can do unless unless you there's anything else you wanted to add. Uh, not really. <laughs> it's Ant Man, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> My next one's Iron Man Two. Um, okay. I yeah, similar to before, it's it is like a really big mess of the film. Um, characters kind of like just kind of like come in and out in and out of the story. Um, people don't really. I don't, I don't want to say they don't change, but I don't really feel like there's major growth. Um, and again, I do find it. But the reason I come come on keep on coming back to it is that sort of like weird thing where it it was before they used to hand off. The visual effects to visual effects guys just do it in post um and just kind of like make it without the director supervision um compared to iron man 2 or whatever um where i feel like john favreau was really at the helm of all all the movie um but it's a shame again that the studio was kind of going through some growing pains <laughs> and just making some terrible choices in general mm. um do you want to can do What's your next one? <laughs> yeah, my next one, number 17, is the first Thor. Right, okay. Placed in 17. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it looks great on Asgard. does, yeah. I think the parts on Earth look a bit... By comparison, I think they look a bit, a little bit drab. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> but I think, I think maybe that's the point. Yeah, kind of a contrast. Um, I also really like the score. Yeah, I think this is probably the first one we've come to on the list which has a really great character theme. Yeah, it's a shame I didn't keep on using it as mm-hmm. his theme. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, um, you have, I think, Chris Hemsworth's greatest Thor. You you yeah. also have this. You have a very, I don't want to say basic, but relatively simple journey for him. Mm-hmm. In that he's too arrogant, he's punished and given a task. Yeah, he has to overcome it to show growth. 
which she ultimately does. Um, <laughs> I there's nothing really really out there in this film, which is why it probably ranks a little lower. Again, it's a film where there's nothing really wrong with it at all. Not really. <laughs> I enjoy yeah. it. Without a doubt, one of my favourite scenes in the MCU does occur in this film, however. Oh, right, yeah. The I adore the, the low-key shouting at Odin. Yeah, it's the, a it's a heart wrencher. <laughs> the whole tell me, the way, the way that Tom Hiddleston delivers that. Yeah. Mwah! Cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that yeah. scene. For me, even the rest of the film was trash. Mm-hmm. That, that that scene would you know it'd be one of my favorites yeah and it's, that's that's all i really have <laughs> it's a pretty kind of um it's an early days model movie which is entirely based on what i think will define how great the mcu is going forward um it kind of takes these directors that are not necessarily great directors but are kind of just people that you know can make a good film from like a big budget um and i feel like in this case it did a really good job of that and i mean when you think back to it like making four like a, a character that people can kind of relate to and want to see more of was like an impossible task um so it's weird that it, it works so well in in retrospect that people at some point just accepted that four was a character that we all wanted to see more of <laughs> yeah. um which is weird <laughs> um, yeah, we have we have the case where a lot a good part of the cast for this were I'll say good part. The, perhaps the two biggest roles from this and going forward, they cast relative unknowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like to cast Chris Hemsworth at the time as Thor. Yeah. That's a bold decision. As yeah. well as casting Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Unknowns at the time. <laughs> oh, I say I say relative unknowns. Compared yeah. to people like Robert Downey Jr., they were. Definitely, yeah. I mean, obviously, if you're in Australia, you probably knew who, you definitely knew who Chris Hemsworth was. Probably, yeah. <laughs> and for us in England, we were more familiar with Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. And yeah, and for me, that, that does show as well one of the major strengths that Marvel have is yeah. that their casting has been phenomenal. That's true. Yeah. They have hardly got one wrong for me. I don't think they've ever got like a, a and, casting where I thought, like, this is wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the only ones that are a bit iffy are the ones that they have replaced now. Yeah. <laughs> As in Edward Norton and... Um, Terence Howard. Thingy Howard, yeah. Yeah. Who, again, was... I, I feel like Don Cheadle, he's made the role his own now, and that's how Mark Ruffalo. I can't imagine anyone else in those roles. Yeah. It'd be weird. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I think um so the yeah, the casting director for the most of the MCU films has been um it's another one where I'm having to recall a name. So mm-hmm. you know this isn't gonna go well. <laughs> Sarah, is it? Sarah Hale? I think Sarah Haley Flynn. Okay. Okay, think... we'll trust that. We'll trust it. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got to check it now, you know me. I've got to check it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've nailed it. Absolutely nailed it with that nailed one voice. Oh, nice one. Sarah Finn. <laughs> Sometimes called Sarah Haley Finn. You see, I got that extra bit in there. Yeah, you got the I didn't just get the, the, the name that everybody uses. I got the sometimes credited as. <laughs> That's real. That's real dedication. It is. Um, <laughs> uh, my next one, 
I think is it might be quite diverse at this point. I don't really know. Um, uh, Doctor Strange. Um, Controversial with me, let me tell you. Oh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> for me, I would say this is, this is a solid, good film. I enjoy it. Um, I think there are some great, really great moments in it with like um, the ancient one dying at the at the near the end. Um, some really great scenes between. Doctor Strange and love interest. There's some really great um, scenes of Doctor Strange getting used to having like his mat- like mangled hands. There's there's also a, the finale with like Dormammu was really great, like a really kind of subversive way of doing a climatic battle in a superhero movie. Um, there's some really great stuff in this movie, and of course the visuals when it comes to the magic stuff is very very like interesting and trippy and very well done for the most part. And I, I really sense a book coming. There, oh yeah, there is. There's a book coming, uh, but I I feel like this is a a good example for me of a movie that is trying to be more and for some reason is being tied to like the Marvel kind of I don't know I don't, don't want to say formula but more like the tone of it. I feel like this movie is going for more dramatic tone. I feel like this movie is trying to be more dramatic, more serious, more kind of um, taking every scene as it comes and seeing how they can really get all the drama out of it. And but I do every once in a while I feel that sort of pullback where I feel like, oh, but it's still an MCU film, therefore it still has to have that sort of comedic edge to it, and every scene has to have some sort of comedic punchline. Or, or when it comes to the visuals, aside from the trippy, the trippy sort of magic stuff, it, it's still kind of somewhat flat to me. Um, not all the time. Oh, I mean, like just the, the general sort of dialogue scenes and the kind of like they don't really feel like a. They don't really, they're not really visual, visually distinct from other Marvel movies, but when it comes to the obviously the visual effects, the it's very much different. And I feel like this is what that's kind of what um, sets it sets it apart. Um, and I feel like it's a movie I wish I loved more. Um, mm. I went I, did, I went through a phase of loving this movie. I think it was one of the best ones as well. I really love this film a lot, but I think on my latest rewatch when I was watching it um, coming up to Endgame, I just kind of just. I felt the pull between a great movie and another Marvel movie, um, which again I respect it a lot for trying to be trying to be more like other Marvel other Marvel, movie, other Marvel movies have done very well. Um, but I think being tied to that very Tony Stark formula of selfish guy goes to, goes from being mm. self being sacrificial. Um, I feel like being tied to that and being tied to that formula and comedic tone was somewhat holding it back and i still feel that now um do you agree at all <laughs> mine my for me doctor strange is definitely in the top 10 oh okay okay um i really love this film mm-hmm. but i do if i had said there was a criticism i would say it's that it's very similar to tony stark's arc yeah it's very it's coffee. That, you know it's Where's... a selfish man that becomes less selfish yeah but for me, it does enough to distinguish itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the key. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that the visuals are incredible. I love Benedict Cumberbatch in it. Mm-hmm. I also, I love, the, as well as it having very visually interesting visuals. Yeah. Well, that, that, that was a stupid sentence. <laughs> visually interesting visuals. <laughs> interesting visuals that are just done nicely. Yeah. But you have visually interesting battles. <laughs> That's true. In yeah. the, and I feel like they're very inventive. Mm-hmm. I like that 
Doctor Strange isn't this all-powerful being yet. Yeah, that's quite nice. Yeah, he's stumbling through hallways, injured. <laughs> yeah. Awkward interactions with some of the villains. Yeah. Speaking of which, Kaecilius maybe could have been done a bit better. Yeah, he's kind of another bland one that I forget about. <laughs> but for me, without doubt, this film has heart, and like you say, it has that. It has that trying to be something, trying to say something, and yeah. I definitely. Does. I, I just love the the symbolism that's in there, particularly with the watch. Yeah, I adore the fact that he still wears the watch at the end. For me, that's a little detail that the broken watch. Yeah, it's just great, and just him having the broken watch there as a reminder. A reminder of what made the good parts of him. Yeah. And remind him that he is sort of broken and with yeah. his hands, but he can still move forward. Yeah. Um, um, as well sort of the ideas about sort of be, making life meaningful. Mm-hmm. The yeah. bit where they, they're they in the astral plane and whatever and they're watching the lightning as yeah. the Ancient One's dying. Again, that is, that is top-notch MCU right there. Definitely is, yeah. It's a high um, the cat again, character characters at the front foremost. Mm-hmm. They're opened up, they're exposed, and the way that carries forward with sort of making life meaningful, and particularly in the way that it's very subversive in how Doctor Strange deals with Dolmo. Yeah, and it's really refreshing to have not just him. Beating the enemy to a pulp. Yeah, it's they've they've, they've been outsmarted. Yeah, they have. Yeah, he's played him. He's played him well. And they've used magic in a way that isn't just like firecrackers, where it's just like kind of like a fun. You hit someone, but instead of getting hit, they kind of like I don't know, purple sparks happen. It's more mm. kind of using intellect and kind of outsmarting everyone. Yeah, uh, I I think there's a great scene in this one as well that defines it from the rest of the MCU where. Doctor Strange, after killing someone, is like really upset about it and really doesn't like yeah. the fact that he's done this. Um, and I feel like that's a great thing in, in this movie. And I feel like I didn't really realize it, realize it until this scene, but I just it came to me that I don't think any other MCU hero has a problem with killing or like harming anyone. Mm. Um, so it's interesting to see that dynamic play with Doctor Strange. And I feel like it's a really good point comparing him to Tony. And especially going forward with them two happening, coming together in Infinity War, um, where you really get the sense that Doctor Strange isn't willing to sacrifice anything. Um, and that there is, like, there's no, you can't let anyone die. It's not like a, you do this or you don't do this. It's just like, you can't let anyone anyone be put in harm's way. Um, compared to Tony, who is a bit more, is a bit more kind of like, if we need to get past some guys, I will kill them. <laughs> um, yeah. It's an interesting dynamic between them two and in this movie I feel like it's again the similar that thing I was saying before like there is a dramatic pull that I feel is special to this movie and it's for me it is kind of feels still a bit tied down um mm-hmm. so like but like if Sam Raimi makes a, a fantastic second movie I will not feel any sort of like um, um hesitation in watching the first one again to get to the second one I feel yeah. like it's not like it won't be that much of like a quality leap or something like that um, I do think this movie is a good movie with some problems, but overall, I do think it has some really great moments in it. Yeah, uh, yeah. and I, I'd say that I, I love this film to the extent where mm-hmm. I would say that Multiverse of Madness is probably the next MCU film I'm most excited about. 
same. It's hard not to be. <laughs> beyond beyond the next two in in the you know you have Eternals, which is looking pretty exciting. Yeah. And the fact that I I just want a new Marvel film, so I'm desperate for Black Widow. <laughs> yeah. You have. You have a really exciting prospect, and for me, these are the most exciting. Not saying that the others aren't. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential there. But for me, the pull of this one, having Doctor Strange and Wanda, potentially Loki, mm-hmm. yeah, and Sam Raimi directing. Sam Raimi. <laughs> Sam Raimi. But also, despite how amazingly excited I am to have Sam Raimi in the MCU, and as well as Sam Raimi doing this one, yeah. I do feel like I'm going to kind of miss Scott Derrickson. Yeah, I feel bad for him, if anything. Because <laughs> I feel like he does a really good job, and I would like to see where he took it. Yeah. I, again, yeah, I feel like if he had full creative control, I feel like he could make a really great film um, and not be not be so tied to the formula of an origin movie. Mm. Uh, I, would like to, I would like to see that, but unfortunately we're going to get Sam Raimi. <laughs> yeah, I think... Any soundness is perhaps <laughs> overruled a little by yeah. the Raimster. The Raimi the boy. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. What number are we at? 16. 16, I guess. Um, <laughs> my yeah. next one is... Wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. What? It's mine. Oh, yes, yeah, yours. Oh, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> My number 16 is Iron Man 3. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, That's the one, I guess. I guess. This is, this is the one where it's like some people hate it, some people love it. Yeah. I'm very in the middle about it. Same. Same. There are aspects I really like. There are also, there's also one aspect that I really don't like. <laughs> right. I am really not a fan of the um, the narration. The narration? Oh, okay. The voiceover. I think it's so odd. You don't like it at all. To have it, it just to me it just stands out like a sore film. Yeah. For the MCU films, like no other film has it, with yeah. the exception of maybe the opening of Ragnarok. Yeah, kind of. Where Thor sort of narrates it, but he's also not narrating it because he's talking to a the corpse. A corpse. <laughs> yeah. And um, you do. And I suppose it, it is made, the narration is sort of made sense of in the post credit scene where it sort of hinted out that he was telling it to Bruce Banner. Yeah. But as the film as a whole, I just think it doesn't really work. Yeah, yeah I get what you mean. It is kind of a different, but not in a good way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and it just, it just feels... I, I also felt like Shane Black is a really odd choice. <laughs> yeah. For, MC, for the MCU and where the MCU looks to go, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they like very distinct personalities and we're seeing that now. Yeah. But for me, it's a, it's a very strange choice. Yeah. And he takes risks. Mm-hmm. Some yeah. of the risks I like. And some with the, with the narration I don't. Yeah. Like for example, the twist in iron man 3 is that the mandarin isn't really the mandarin there's no mandarin it's just fake it's all aldrich killian yeah the actual reveal itself mm. i really enjoy yeah i think it's just such a such a great subversion of what you expect going in mm-hmm. yeah and as well the scene itself is brilliant oh yeah it's the way really... it's played out and he's just watching he's just watching liverpool versus chelsea on the tv <laughs> 
it's weirdly hilarious. <laughs> it is. It's great. It's one of the best. Well, actually, it's probably a really good example of the MCU doing comedy, right? Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I see how people could hate that. Yeah. Like, if you're a fan of the Mandarin from the comics, it's like it, I could see it being a bit of an insult to you. He is kind of like the Joker for the Iron Man, isn't he? In like yeah. A, so it it feels a bit like a disservice to the character in some ways, but yeah, it does. I, can't I mean, have... I think I'm glad we're going to get the Mandarin in Shang Chi anyway. Oh yeah. I that. think if they hadn't, if they hadn't, because they also released a short, didn't they? They did, yeah. That kind of serves something else. <laughs> yeah, and referred to the fact that the Mandarin is actually out there. Yeah. Which I think if they hadn't done that, they would have a problem. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Angry fans. But uh, yeah, I I also like the sort of the buddy cop aspect of um, Stark and uh, Rhodes. Yeah, and I the think kid. That's great. Which also, I realised the other day, because mm-hmm. I watched it, you know the Lethal Weapon films? Yeah. They were written by Shane Black. Oh, were they? Oh, the first yeah. one was, I think, the first one. I think, I think it's the first one, maybe even the first two. Oh. And they're also direct, directed by Richard Donner. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? <laughs> what a combination. To me, he's always going to be a Superman guy, but it yeah. was also a weapon. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, so, and I think... There are weak aspects to it in that you have. You also have. While I like the period where he ends up mm-hmm. with with um, the kid, yeah, I find it interesting. I find it fun. It's also really odd <laughs> in how it fits in with the whole thing as a as a whole. It does yeah. I really like the anxiety plotline. Yeah, the PTSD. It's great. It's the start of where it just flips. Tony's mm-hmm. character on on his head. Yeah, and it gives it the fuel to to give him the legs for the rest of the MCU. I think. Yeah, it's that uh, being a core aspect of his character is is brilliant. It defines his next like five films, I think. Sorry. I feel very similar. Like, there's a lot of things I love in this movie, but sometimes it isn't it doesn't work as one like cohesive whole movie. I guess. Mm. Um, it's like, very. It's all, the, the final battle is very meh. Yeah, it's a lot of just stuff happening. Um, just the maximum Iron Man suits, maximum destruction, and maximum like whatever's happening. Um, and also, given how it it sort of ends as if that's the end we're done, where obviously it carries on with little consequences. So I get, I get the time because they didn't know if Robert Downey was coming back. Yeah, but but he, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I. I I think this is a pretty great example of the consequence problem, and I again it's uh, when I think Pepper Potts, Pepper Potts dies, well dies like quotation marks dies um, near the end of the movie, and it's not I'm not really bothered by the fact that she didn't die. It's more the fact that if she died, and I think like a minute later, Tony makes some sort of jab about the Iron Man suit or something. He makes some sort of joke about it, and he seems pretty like like normal Tony for some reason. It doesn't really feel like he's motivated by the death to be more like full of rage or something like that. Um it kind of goes away and then she comes back and then it's all fine. And then he's not he's not gonna be Iron Man anymore, but then he is Iron Man again. <laughs> um it's it's kind of one of those things where in the moment it feels like a big change is happening, but looking back back at it, the choices made at the end of this film kind of don't really have any 
weight going forward. I mean, the whole PTSD thing does keep on coming back, and it's a great aspect to this character. Um, but I feel like this movie being one movie by itself, and then comparing it to a sequel, Age of Ultron, is kind of like, well, what happened? Like, <laughs> it, It's a bit like, well, why do we have this whole discussion about him learned to take away to not do any more suits or to not do all this stuff and why it was always a part of it if it's not going to have any effect going forward um even though again like i said like keep on saying ptsd part is a great example of like actually pretty good consequences in these movies um mm-hmm. um it keeps on coming back um and again i feel like these middle movies are kind of like movies that i feel are striving to be, striving to be better but are sometimes tied down by the marvel formula um, so I feel like the mid movies in, in this ranking is going to be very much sort of like it's great, but also some problems because <laughs> like they kind of held back a lot of times, um, which is a bit sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you want to go to my next one? Yep, go on. Uh, my next one is Avengers: Age of Ultron. Um, okay. It's the same thing I was saying there. It's a movie trying to be so much more. I feel like. Wait, is this your number fifteen? Yeah, I think so. Oh, my my number fifteen is also Age of Ultron. Hey. So. <laughs> um, yeah, similar thing before. Like, I feel like this movie is trying to be a lot more than it actually end up, ends up being. Um, I feel like behind the scenes something happened, similar to Iron Man two, where they decided that they were going to make this this movie more of a, a stepping stone than actual event that you, have, that you have to see um which is why i i always like in the first half of this movie fall really like in love with it and i think it's great and then all of a sudden i kind of look kind of go well uh you kind of lost me now because nothing's really coming to any sort of head it kind of just feels like it feels like it wants to be infinity war where they lose at the end or their bad things really take effect in the, at the end of the movie but Instead of all we get is kind of the Avengers one repeated again. Um, it's it's a weird movie for me because I feel like the first half is like it's like Spider Man two to Spider Man one or Dark Knight to Batman Begins, but that last half is very much just another sequel that happens. Um, yeah, I I think I completely agree in that when I've rewatched this, I've got a, I've watched the first half and really loved it. Yeah, but then you sort of get into the second half in it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's disappointing. No, not really. I just say it doesn't. It doesn't build and move on from that first half. Not really. It's it sets up so many great stakes of like Tony and his hubris is going to be is going to be the ultimate downfall, and Thor is going to attack Tony, and Captain America can't get like he can't have a normal life, and Black Widow is all depressed about her uh, Black Widow training, and the Hulk is all depressed about him his um, inability to have any normal life as well. Um, and these great arcs are getting to really good points, and the farm scene is brilliant. And it has a mm-hmm. movie that stops and have us actually explore these characters and just take a break and have these characters come to um, come to head with each other and kind of just have like some real resolution and some real developments. However, after this after this farm scene, we kind of just, kind of just jump into the regular Avengers action stuff. Um, and it just kind of feels like, well, we could have went this way, but we kind of went the other way. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, I just don't really feel any need to watch this movie as much as I, as I want to watch the first one again or the third one or whatever. Um, mm, uh, yeah. I feel like the greatest point I can make about this film was that Tony at the beginning of this film makes a robot 
and the robot goes evil and can kill everyone. And to fix this problem, the whole arc of the film for Tony is to just make a new robot and by chance it goes well and they don't die. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't really know what he's learned. I don't really know what happened. I mean, it's all kind of like by chance that it went well. Um, so it feels like they're getting told off of being not great people, but also the movie kind of just goes, but they're, they're pretty good. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's iffy for me. Yeah. Hmm. I think the I think it's the film that shows the best and the worst parts of Joss Whedon's films. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. In that, there's some really there are cases of some really cringy dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm afraid of saying because just Joss Whedon's dialogue it can be amazing. It can be, yeah. You He's... have examples in the first film of the first Avengers film. Yeah. You also have examples in this in where you have the party scene or the after party where they're all trying to lift Thor's hammer. Yeah. Absolutely great. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> you also have Tony's monologue where he mentions the end game. Yeah. Again, a great, great bit of writing. But then you also have, you have, in one, as I said in one of the opinion posts, what is for me the worst part of the entire franchise? <laughs> yeah. It's not... the gag where Bruce Banner lands on Natasha's chest and it's just. It's not good. Why? <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah. And you also, as well, you have, and also one of my favourite scenes of the MCU is Vision talking to Ultron at the end of the film. Oh, yeah. yeah. He kind of gives him a little, well, something isn't beautiful because it lasts. Yeah. Little thing. And then the little pun where it's like, well, I was born yesterday. <laughs> Which I think yeah. is great. I love that. And with that Paul scene, Bettany's delivery. Yeah, that scene is really like a great like ribbon on ribbon on that movie um mm. yeah but <laughs> it doesn't really come together for me as a movie overall um i feel like the moment where it completely loses me is um when they go to like china and they had the whole the whole chase scene i yeah. always it feels I, unnecessary yeah it feels like okay we're gonna have some big epic action scene at the end where they're on a piece of land going into the air and going to crash down on earth I'm thinking, like, why on earth would you, before this, have this whole China motorbike chase thing that lasts for way too long, and it has no point aside from getting the MacGuffin to one place to the other place? I think uh, it's in Korea. Oh, Korea. Oh, oh it is, yeah, because um, that character is from there. Yeah, okay. I think, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it kind of feels like it goes from being perhaps a really great story to just being... Uh, run-of-the-mill kind of adventure when it, it just doesn't feel like the next chapter it feels like the next two pages i guess <laughs> um it's honestly in some way it feels like incomplete to me um and yeah it just kind of phase two is a real mixed bag for me um it has some of the best movies in it but also some of the worst like some of like the some of the big hints at what was going to be marvel's kind of weaknesses going forward um Mm-hmm. When I got it right, I got it really right. But this one is kind of like a mixed bag for me. Yeah, I think I'd agree. I think yeah. there's some really great stuff in there, but there's also a lot that holds it back. You also have the fact that after this, after this also, this film also meant that Feige was able to take control of Marvel. Oh yeah, which I think is a bit of a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I think like because if if people don't know, there was there was a creative committee mm. that. Sort of lacking control because at this point, 
you had Marvel, you had Marvel Studios, which was a part of Marvel Entertainment. Yeah. Marvel Studios' head was Kevin Feige. Yeah. And you had all the other senior producers like Esposito and um, there's another one. I've got it's another name I've forgotten. <laughs> Way here we go again. Got to get it. You got to get it. I've got to get it now. <laughs> um, what film will she be on? I think it's, I think it, she's a female producer. Let me have a look. Here we go. Search number five million of this episode. <laughs> or cast and crew. Come on, internet. Come on. Come on, internet. We need those facts. We need this name. No, don't do this now. What are you doing? <laughs> don't give me the, the, the yellow circle of doom. Oh, no. The I want the cast list. Oh, <laughs> Oh, my God. I'll continue my conversation as this loads. Right. <laughs> um, so you had them, and then you had Ike Perlmutter oh, yeah. at the top of Marvel and the creative committee. Yeah. Sort of supervising what Marvel were doing. And the creative committee made them, particularly to this film, but also to other films, they caused several disputes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's because of them that Edgar Wright left Ant-Man. True, yeah. Because of them, Patty Jenkins left uh, Thor 2. Yeah. All these other things. And they they demanded various things to be put in to this film, like the the cave theme with Thor, Mm -hmm. as well as the film. They had a big problem. Apparently James Gunn had a big problem with them. Oh, okay. Um, But basically, because of this film... Kevin Feige was able to go to Disney and say, I'm not happy with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so basically then Kevin Feige basically sidestepped them all mm. and reports straight to Disney now. <laughs> well, he did. And now, now, he, now he just controls Marvel. Yeah. Which is, it's gone well <laughs> in general. Yeah. The producer is Victoria Alonso. Right. Let's put that fat down. <laughs> Executive producer. Right. <laughs> Took so long. <laughs> yep. I'll load in there. Basically, basically yes. Facts yep. or Age of Ultron. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you want to move on now to the next one? Mm-hmm. Right. Was it you? Or was it me? Uh, I think Age of Ultron was for both of us, so. Okay. Is it it's me? Yours. Yours. Oh, right. Yours. <laughs> okay. um, my next one is. Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, again, you know what? Yeah? It's the same for me as well. Really? Yeah. Oh! So we agree on this one. <laughs> we agree on this one. Yeah. Uh, for me, this film is really solid. Um, no, I ha- agree. It has some really get, great direction sometimes, some really great energy. Um, thankfully, it's a very colourful movie. I don't think it has that sort of bland Marvel colour palette. I feel like it's very sort of vibrant in general. Um, it has some great acting. I think Mal Keegan's great in it. Oh, uh, yeah. Tom Holland is giving it his all. And I I kind of always feel like Tom Holland could be amazing in this role, but I always feel like he is uh, playing a 12-year-old in a teenager's body. It's, <laughs> um, it's kind of my only like flaw with his portrayal in general. Um, 
but overall i do think he's great um the romance is a bit kind of one note and kind of teenage kind of um it's just going to be one like we're not really going to care about this one it's kind it, of it, it feels like it's there to serve a purpose yeah like it, it feels more of a plot thing to get to have yeah. that connection between Peter and um, Vulture. Yeah, yeah. Um, Whereas I feel, for me, obviously I'm going to disagree with this, but for <laughs> me in Far From Home, that romance feels much, much more natural and much, much more deserved. I think next, um, MJ and Peter feel a bit more... That's, yeah. I feel like they feel a bit more natural, at least. Yeah, uh, that's what I mean, yeah. Um, but this one, it, it just feel a bit like a... Well, it's a Spider-Man movie, so we need some sort of love interest. Um, but Going yeah, down I mean, the Batman route of just creating a love interest. Yeah, just making one for the movie. <laughs> but yeah, I do feel like this movie is it's it's all fun. It has some it has some really good moments of heart. It's has a really solid arc. I think I feel like Peter has like a genuine origin movie in this. I don't feel he has. I feel like he has a big change in this movie. I feel like this movie kind of means something as well. Um, and obviously, obviously, I have problems going forward with his interpretation of the character, but I do feel like the idea of this character having an anime that knows that he's Spider-Man is gonna, would be interesting. Obviously, I'm disappointed with how they did it, but in this one movie, I do feel like it's a, good, it's a great way of leading us off on that idea. Um, I do feel like it's a bit weird having the theme being around helping the little guy, but at the end, Spider-Man stops a little guy from stealing million, uh, a millionaire's toys. <laughs> it, it's kind of weird to me that that's the end point of this movie, that he, mm. he stopped someone, a millionaire from getting some of his materials stolen. Um, um, and I do feel like this movie is... It's safe, I would say. I would say it's not trying to do anything that it doesn't have to do. Um, but that being said, I do think it's a great introduction into this new version of Spider-Man similar to like the first Harry Potter. I feel like it's it's no one's necessary favourite as like a film. I just feel like it's a very good introduction introduction. Yeah. Like light hearted adventure. Um is that how you feel? Yeah, I feel very similar. Like you say, I like I love Keaton. Yeah. The car scene where they have the conversation Yeah. Yeah, they figure out each other's identities or whatever. I I feel that's great. I feel like the comedy works in this one. It does, yeah. For the most part. I wish Ned had more to do with the character. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's just sort of there to be the supportive best friend. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Um, yeah, and the whole thing about, you know, if you're, not, if you're nothing without the suit, you shouldn't wear it. Mm-hmm, yeah. I feel like that's at the same time as being absolutely coarse by demand stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like even calling back to the Raimi trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's also like a newer take on it. Yeah, it's kind of. And like, I also like the way that they use Stark in the film. Yeah, it could have went really bad, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but didn't really. Um, mm. I again, because I guess because it's just like a light-hearted adventure film, I do kind of wish that they kind of question Tony Stark more than they do in the actual film. Um, yeah. Because I, I feel like a great example <laughs> is when uh, Spider-Man goes up goes up to the Vulture at the end and says. Um, I'm going to stop you from doing this. And Vulture talks about how we're the little guys, and we get we get the scraps, and we don't we get pushed on, and we don't really get what we deserve. And then instead of having some sort of conversation about this or understanding each other, Spider-Man replies with, 
why are you telling me this? <laughs> and then the movie sort of goes into action mode from that point on. Um, so I feel like it hints at some really, really meaningful subtext or even just conflict, but kind of just goes, nah, nah. <laughs> um, So I, again, it's it's not as much, but it's still in that realm for me of like a good movie that's kind of been held back. Um, but yeah, I enjoy it overall a lot. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to move on? Numero 12. Okay. Is it you that's next? It's you. Oh. Um, because both the last two have both been the same. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so my next one, I think this might be controversial as well, um, is for Ragnarok. Um, okay. I've got a different one. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, for Ragnarok for me is, a, is an interesting film because... Usually when I say that it's being held back, what I mean is that the studio is saying that we need to fit into a certain genre or formula. Uh, but in this case, it's not being held back by studio. It's kind of being held back by the person actually making it. Um, uh, and it's weird because I feel like he's usually incredibly good at handling comedy and drama. And I feel like in this film, he definitely is as well. I don't feel like this. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like one scene feels dis- disconnected to the other scene. It was any sort of different tone. Um, so I do feel like I thoroughly enjoy this movie a lot and I feel like it's an incredibly fun ride it is filled with amazing set design and some great CGI and some great even practical stunts and really just a great sort of like soft reboot of the character um, yeah. I think it works extremely well and I feel like it's the movie Taika Waititi wanted to make um, but every once in a while, I think about like what happens in the movie, and I can't believe that like this movie is the fun one. Like, like Thor loses an eye, he loses Asgard, um, people like die. <laughs> he is he's lost his hammer. Um, he has a sister that I had no idea about, who's actually evil, and his father was not a great man like what he was. Um, there's some major character revelations in this movie that I feel like sort of just get like brushed aside as kind of like. Yeah, it's part of the fun plot. I'm like, and it, it what, what's weird to me is that it does work. Like, it, I still don't understand how Takoti it does it. I really don't like, like that. All that, all this because stuff he's happens. A god. He is. That's true. That's very true. The god uh, of men. <laughs> and it's it's why I'm excited more so for his next film because I feel like, um, him writing this that movie instead of just mm. taking a script that already existed and kind of just making it more Takoti like. Yeah, uh, I feel like the, the sort of the if you had to say something about this film, it's that it doesn't feel full Watiti. It yeah, not and quite. I think a lot a lot of what you're talking about makes sense with that. Like the tone, it's definitely a Taika Watiti film. Yeah, but it's maybe Taika Watiti at ninety two percent. Yeah, not not that he's not putting effort in. He's definitely putting effort in. Oh, yeah, he loves this. <laughs> he, he he's loving it, but because the script isn't entirely his. Hmm. It. Yeah, I I think compared to like his other films like Boy or Hunt for the Blood People or Georgia Rabbit, it feels a bit like it leans more into the comedy than into the drama. Mm. And I think that, I mean, it's not like they're entirely his because two of them are based on books. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. But it, it's also the point of mm-hmm. the screenplay itself. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I feel like. Uh, this script, we look at it as like a as a film, structurally and just plot beat wise, it's very kind of simple. Um, 
in a sense of like it's a character who loses his fundamental sort of beliefs and then has to go on a journey in a different world and come back as a new hero it's very much the first film kind of again but just more Waititi and more alien um um and the thing is it, it works i'm not criticizing it for that i think it does really work um again it's a soft reboot of the character and it clearly has worked <laughs> um and it's it's weird i just want this movie to be so much more but at the same time i'm happy with what i got yeah. It, it's it's a hard midpoint that I don't really know how I feel about it really. Um, so like when I watch Age of Ultron or Doctor Strange, I feel the pull between the storyteller and the studio. But in this film, I feel the storyteller saying what he wants to say, but not in not fully. I guess it's I don't I don't really know how to put it. It's um, I just really like it, <laughs> um, and I think it's really good, and I just. I'm just confused about what it's trying to say at the same time as being a fun adventure. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's one that it revamps the character to where he needs to be. Yeah. To a level which would appeal, make him appealable, appeal, appealing, appealing again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And obviously for the future as well, really excited to have Taika Waititi writing the script, directing again. Yeah, and also be potentially tackling a really, really t- hard hitting story. Yeah, if it's the one that people think it's going to be James Potter and the cancer and the, all that. <laughs> yeah, Could be interesting. Because um, I, I want to see him do Georgia Rabbit, but with fall. I want to see that sort of weird mix of like an enjoyable good time that's also very hard hitting and makes you experience both the highs of life and the really low lows um yeah that's the kind of thing that makes Watiti probably for me one of the most interesting and one of my favorite filmmakers of the current era same yeah it's i can't yeah i, I want to see more from him from whatever he's making like mm. even not even in star wars i can't i can't wait to see what he comes up with in that because like how was taiko Watiti going to infuse himself with star wars and make it like drama but sad but also like happy but also really funny but also in like improv but also like drama <laughs> it's yeah it's I like <laughs> at one point as well you'd think well uh how you wouldn't have thought he'd be able to do it with four yeah it's true and so i feel like he's gonna end up doing something really unique with star wars definitely yeah i um Excited for whatever he does. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. What's your next one? Should we do my number 12? Number yeah. 13, even. Okay. 13. My number 13 is Captain America, the first Avenger. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, on rewatch, this has shot up my list. Oh, really? Mainly because it's just, it has a very special kind of palette. Right. Visually. Like yeah. there's some really wonky bits of CGI. Oh yeah, definitely. Particularly the bit where he jumps off a massive tank which <laughs> doesn't look great. It looks like a like a, a skyscraper level tank. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But as well, the way they the way they handle like nineteen forties America. Yeah. With that that sort of that classic mm-hmm. nostalgic comic book looking effect and that nostalgic weren't the 1940s great yeah <laughs> kind of look, as well as sort of fusing that 
with a little bit of grime. Yeah, a bit of it's dark. Sort of nearly perfect and nostalgia there, but it's not quite. It's not yeah. quite the glitzy forties that <laughs> some things tend to make it out to be. Yeah. And for me, for me, at the core of this is without doubt the way they handle Captain America's personality. Yeah, they do. The yeah. whole Erskine telling him, you know, it's you, you've been chosen because you're a good man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've all, you've always got to remember to stay that way. Yeah, in a way that's very that's very Raimi Spider-Man. Oh yeah, it's definitely. Um, I think out of all the movies, I feel the most inspired by um, mm-hmm. early days Marvel movies. I think. Yeah, and it has something that maybe not a lot of the other Marvel films have, particularly later on. Is it has a sincerity to it? Oh yeah, definitely. It feels so sincere and so pure. Yeah. From what is, it's not it's not necessarily a particularly ambitious storyline. Not really. It's a World War Two good versus evil kind of thing. Yeah. And you know, it's also the pacing's a little bit off because he the bit where he goes off doing all the uh, pageants. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. feel like it's really the really disjointed bit to it, but I think mm. it pulls through that in the end. Right. Um, and it's just a really sort of good character-centered on this good man trying to make a difference. But it also has, I mean, what they do, what makes Captain America's character so good in the MCU does come with the later films when he ends up in the present day. Yeah. So that old nature going against a new world. Sort yeah. Of. But that's established here because one of the biggest problems you often have with making a character be so good yeah. is you they, they come across as almost sickly. <laughs> yeah. You think, Oh, I can't I can't be bothered with you. <laughs> Why are you coming out with all this righteous nonsense? Yeah. <laughs> but for me they make it work because Steve Rogers he has an awareness. Yeah, there's a there's a humanity behind it. Yeah, he's not just an ignorantly moral person. Yeah, like when he first meets Erskine, he tells him he he doesn't think that he doesn't want to go and kill Nazis because he thinks they're all evil. Yeah, he does it because he wants to stand up to the bully. Yeah, he doesn't just do it because some mindless idea of what's right and wrong. Yeah, there's the idea, the notion that he is aware. I mean, that particularly comes later on where the conflict isn't necessarily inside of him, it's with him and the new world, yeah. like you said. Um, and I think it's, um, again, it, we think back to the first Thor movie or the first Captain America movie, you've got to sell the audience on the idea that a Captain America movie could work, which back then seemed impossible. Um, so, like, when you have that scene where he says, I don't really care about hitting or killing Nazis more, it's more just, like, not being bullied against by anyone. Um, mm. So even if it was America being a bad guy, like they were the one that was forcing the terrible things, it would be him saying the same thing. Um, it's not really a there's no real sense of nationalism to him. It's all this moral, uh, moral strong moral beliefs. Um, yeah, because you may see that in Winter Soldier, don't you? you? See him essentially going against America. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, um, and even though he does believe in these fundamental foundations of um, government and all these things, I do feel like. This first movie is such a great um, example of Marvel being great at, at um, characterization. Um, oh, yeah, 100%. The grenade scene where he throws up over a grenade, even for, uh, a fake grenade, before anyone else. 
um, is a great scene that this like you can watch that one scene and from that know anything you need to know going forward. Um, yeah, it's and, like one of them show don't tell kind of. Yeah. Um, scenarios. And compared to, um, I don't want to like go against Captain Marvel too much, but comparing that to Captain Marvel, in which we don't really see her personality shine through in some sort of action. It's more just movie tells us that she's being controlled by her, being controlled by people that are telling her that her emotions are too, too all over the place. Mm-hmm. We don't really see that. And also at the end, she's the same person just doing the same thing. But apparently she's now more emotional and letting it happen to her. I don't really see it, but sure. Um, and I feel like it's kind of that weakness, the film, the that film's weakness, which is surprising because the same studio made this film, which is so full of just amazing character moments and just my favorite part of this movie is the first half of this little skinny Steve Rogers doing these incredible things, even though he has no right to as that sort of person. Um, hmm. It's a great, I think, a little spoiler for my ranking, but it's where it's really high on my ranking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, I think that might bring us, do you want to conclude this part here? Yeah. So this is our, I guess our first half. We will yeah. be getting back to this in, I think, the next two weeks or so. Um, and then a conclusion is coming, but it won't be straight away. <laughs> yeah. Next week, we do have a guest coming on. Um, and we'll be talking about Pirates of the Caribbean and why it's sometimes good and sometimes bad. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So <laughs> I hope you can come along for that one. Um, so, yeah, you can follow us on at Marvelous Cinema Podcast on Instagram. Um, and we're doing the same thing over at Cinema Marvelous on Twitter. Um, so if you want to leave us a review as well on iTunes, it'll be much appreciated. No um, um, yeah, so I think we're done for now. <laughs> yeah. Thank you uh, very much for listening. Yeah. I'd be one of your go horse, Henry. Um, this has been Oh the Carehurst Matthew. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah, thank you. Have a lovely day. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. <laughs>